Welcome to Episode 8 of the RMD Podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily. I'm Chris Clow, Editor of RMD. In this episode, we thought it would be fun for our listeners to take a look back with us at the eventful year for the reverse mortgage industry that was 2019. To that end, I've asked RMD Executive Editor and Aging Media Network Director of Content Elizabeth Ecker to sit down with me as we run through just a few of the most read stories published on RMD over the course of the last year. Liz's experience covering the reverse mortgage industry goes back over eight years, as she started at RMD back in 2011 and has seen the industry change immensely since then. Listen in as she and I discuss some of the biggest industry news topics of the year, including the abrupt closure of LiveWell Financial and the subsequent ongoing criminal case against its former CEO, the institution of new HECM program rules handed down by the Federal Housing Administration, the odyssey of Ditech Holding Corporation's ownership of reverse mortgage solutions, and more. Hope you enjoy it. Liz, thank you for joining me on the RMD podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's really fun being a guest. I've listened to all of the podcasts as we've rolled them out this uh, last year, and it's been really fun. Do you think it's been going okay? Yeah, I think we have had some awesome interviews here and look forward to more to come in 2020. Yeah, most definitely. Well, as you understand, and as people listening at home understand, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest stories that, uh, that have come across the editorial desk of RMD. So... Right out of the gate, one of the biggest ones was definitely the story of the abrupt closure and the subsequent arrest of the former CEO of LiveWell Financial. What was that day like for you when we learned about the actual closure? I could probably ask you the same question. I think we started to get some tips that day, or I think it was a day or two before we actually reported the news. It was definitely one of those stories where we started hearing tidbits and hoped they weren't true. But as things started to kind of gain traction and we heard from more and more people, um, it seemed like it was not just a rumor, but that there was some fact behind it. Of course, with our reporting process, we have to make sure that our sources are vetted and that we have multiple sources inside and outside the company that could confirm this to us. And I think you ultimately had confirmation from someone on the wholesale side, yeah, um, a broker partner of LiveWell. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a friend of mine who uh, has been a very reliable source for me for my whole time here so far. Yeah. And thanks to all of our sources who keep us in the know. We enjoy kind of the dialogue with you all and, you know, appreciate news tips as you have them so that we can put the pieces together um, and tell the full story. And so this story was one that is still ongoing (laughs) across some of the elements, but it definitely had a major impact, not only in the short term, but also kind of the long term as we're still seeing some of the volume previously conducted by LiveWell, you know, end up in other places. Mm -hmm. And for me, definitely, it was a silver lining to see a lot of the folks who formerly worked for that company find new homes. A lot of them ended up moving over to Open Mortgage, um, which is experiencing growth there. So that was nice to see kind of on the flip side of that story. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, this absolutely constitutes the first major bomb that dropped during my time at RMD. And I was kind of caught a little bit off guard by it just because we had been having a a pretty open line of communication with LiveWell and a couple of other different stories over the past months prior to the actual closure. 
But it was kind of hard, at least initially for me, to keep up with all of the different dimensions that this story had, whether it was the employees landing somewhere else or the ones that didn't, the volume issues, potential regulatory problems, the legal issues, and then, of course, winding all of that together with federal authorities investigating the company and specific people inside of it. That was and is still something that we're really trying to keep a pulse on. And uh, or keep a finger on the pulse, I should say. So we'll just have to see how that continues to unfold as we go into 2020. Yeah, I do think it's safe to say um, you probably will never see a story like that again. (laughs) I remember you saying that to me before, and that's kind of a relief in and of itself, but still a lot of question marks. That's for sure. The next thing that definitely came up on the radar in terms of trying to sort of collate all of the major stories that hit the site over the past year is the new rules that were handed down by FHA, including uh, new condo approvals for single units, as well as indefinite extension of the collateral risk assessment and then the, the second appraisal. What do you think about that? I don't think that any of those changes were necessarily surprising. I think we're kind of still figuring out um, on the new condo approvals, kind of how that's going and how that's impacting lenders, particularly with new products in the space focused on condos. Perhaps that impact isn't as great as it once kind of seemed it might be. Mm -hmm. As for the collateral risk assessment, I think the last story that we did and our audience has definitely taken an interest in this because it impacts all of your business is that it would be extended. So it seems like the numbers that HUD has most recently shared and also what we've heard from contacts, both on the lender side and appraisal management side, um, is that this isn't something that is gaining in terms of the percentage of loans that are requiring a second appraisal. So, um, I mean, it seems that HUD is happy with the impact that it's having and that it's serving its, its intended purpose which I think should be a positive for all who are conducting business. Yeah, most definitely. In terms of the single unit approvals, at first, when the news came out, it seemed like a lot of people across the industry at multiple levels were very, very happy with the idea that condos were going to be opening up again. Mm -hmm. But then a later mortgagee letter came out that announced some of the specifics in terms of implementation And a lot of people that we were talking to became very quiet. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if the excitement just kind of naturally decreased once people got a better look to see how the approvals were actually going to be implemented. I wish I could tell you why, but nobody wanted to tell me. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we're still going to be continuing to take a look at. But yeah, companies wanted to wait longer to make statements about it. And then um, originators were usually deferring to uh, their company standards and practices. That's not what they're actually called, but the equivalent sort of department. So kind of uh, interesting to see how that could affect things as we head into 2020. Mm -hmm. I think, I guess for me, one thing that was telling were some of the areas that came out of that initial working group in terms of like geographic areas that were seeing more of those second appraisals. But from what we've heard most recently, it seems like for each kind of market, it's been pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. So I think that that should be seen as a positive. Yeah. And um, by that same token, the indefinite extension of the collateral risk assessment, I know was not popular 
because the rule itself, if I've been hearing anything consistently over the last year, it's that second, we don't need second appraisals. Second appraisals create far too many problems. But then we look at uh, things that FHA Commissioner Brian Montgomery had said about the positive effect that second appraisals were having on the Heckin Book of Business inside the MMI fund. And then the MMI report coming out, it seems like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, hopefully it will continue to do so. Let's hope. Let's hope. The next topic concerns Ditech Holding Corporation, the long bankruptcy odyssey that they went through that finally culminated in the sale of both its forward and reverse mortgage servicing businesses. From sort of the 10,000 foot perspective, what, do you have any, any thoughts you want to share on that? So we're talking about our most read stories of 2019 today. And I think this is kind of an interesting one because this sort of saga has gone on for a long time. But I think the kind of important piece of it for our audience is that a lot of people um, interacted with or worked for or have done business with, you know, the company RMS in its earlier iteration. And things have changed a lot for that company. It still maintains a servicing presence, obviously. But this is a story that we've been covering for, I don't know how long. Most of the year. Most of the year. And so to see people tuning in to what seems to be a finally a transition for the company, I think, is probably what attracted most of the audience to it. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't seem like the majority of the people that read our stories related to Ditech were typical RMD readers, let's mm-hmm. say. But Ditech was going through a pretty brutal public financial reorientation, reorganization, you know, began at the start of the year. They were already in poor financial shape, led to a second declaration of bankruptcy and their ultimate deregistration from the New York Stock Exchange. Then they went through a company restructuring, which initially looked like it was going to be a good thing for RMS until it kind of just came out of the blue that we we discovered that RMS was actually on the auction block. Mm-hmm. And then that led to legal squabbles in bankruptcy court concerning a plan to actually offload the forward and reverse mortgage segments of DITEC, which didn't get approval initially. And uh, because the judge who was presiding over the whole thing didn't see it as equitable to DITEC customers who wanted legal remedies over right. torts that had been done to them. But eventually it all worked out mm-hmm. and DITEC managed to sell off RMS to a private company, Mortgage Assets Management. So it looks like the story is finished. I'm trying not to get my hopes too far up that it is, but it looks so far like everything is settled and that RMS could potentially be in a better place to operate. But of course, time will tell. Yeah. I think just one other thing that I thought was interesting about this story is you mentioned it may have attracted readership of people who don't necessarily read RMD day to day, but I think when borrowers or the impact to borrowers made it to the headlines. That was when that story kind of potentially had some more mainstream impact. But I will say that I don't think it really got picked up in the mainstream press the way that we've seen certain stories in the past get picked up in the mainstream. So to me, that kind of signals the the sea change that we've seen over the last years in mainstream media's coverage of reverse mortgages. This really for us seemed to be much more kind of like an inside baseball kind of conversation about what was going on on the mortgage servicing side. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
for the key players involved in the industry. Yep. And you, you just never know how something that you think is inside baseball is just going to explode. But uh, <laughs> we've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, no, I'm sure. And, and it's, of course, it's something that we've still got our eyes on. Next topic is uh, an apparently new stance in advertising on the part of American Advisors Group uh, aiming to take on it looked anyway like direct reverse mortgage criticism. And this was uh, originally from a story that we published in July about a new ad featuring AAG spokesman Tom Selleck. How did this ad strike you when you first saw it, especially as a more longstanding observer of the industry? So I don't know. Um, I don't know directly the strategy or thinking behind it. I know that the timing was, as you said, shortly after that USA Today article, series of articles was published. And so I don't know. I mean, I think that the tone is very consistent with, you know, what these ads have have kind of included in their messaging in the past. I think it's nice to see sort of a a little bit of a dialogue, I guess, in response to what consumers might be hearing out there that are considering this product Mm -hmm. so that they can help to sort of sort it out and know that, yeah, the industry is listening and is aware. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know if that was the motivation or not, but it kind of lends itself to an article that you wrote, Chris, um, not too long ago about the advertising that is done nationally and how everyone benefits from it. And I shouldn't say everyone, but, you know, national messaging carries such a great weight, I think. And with a national spokesman such as Tom Selleck, there's a lot of um, kind of traction there. And I think what you learn from talking to people is that even though it's not branded, you know, for every company, it does represent the industry and the product on a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I think rising tide lifts all boats was a phrase (laughs) that that was in that story. Yeah. And, uh, I talked to more than one originator who said that they directly benefited from ads that AAG aired, even if they didn't work for AAG at all. Mm -hmm. So it's very clear to see that those ads have power, but for AAG's part as well, they said that they were trying to take they're advertising in a, a bit more of a, I guess, direct direction, if I can slaughter the English language temporarily by saying that, through the use of this ad specifically. So Selleck most definitely tries to, I guess, attack perceptions without directly naming what is being criticized in terms of the reverse mortgage industry, but the ad overall, it seemed like everyone at AAG was very excited about it. And even people that didn't work there were excited about the idea that there's an ad that is more directly sort of bear hugging some of the criticisms that seem to remain in the ether, regardless of what the companies try to do. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a, a message that's important in terms of just addressing some of those things that are out there that could be misunderstandings or just someone who is, you know, taking information in the wrong way, Mm -hmm. or I guess to kind of counter my own point about the mainstream media having improved recently with respect to coverage of reverse mortgage products, there are still some ideas out there that are not quite right. And some of the reports, we still are seeing things that are citing old information, which is unfortunate. And I usually 
send an email to the author and <laughs> point them to, you know, Nirmla or HUD or whatever other resource can set the record straight and, you know, hope that they, that they do take a look at that. Yeah. But I do think it's important. And I'm sure that originators, at least the ones that I talk to say that they often do have to address some of those articles and messages directly, as you said, this uh, campaign seemed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Well, the last topic that we're going to cover relates to news that came from Capitol Hill. So there was actually quite a bit of activity, at least it seemed to me over the past uh, year or so, in terms of uh, discussion that takes place in Washington related to the, the Heckam program specifically and reverse mortgages at large. But two new potential pieces of legislation were drafted by two different Democratic members of the House of Representatives. And of course, we also got some... Um, Heckam program recommendations that came from the White House. Mm-hmm. And some of those things are, are intertwined. But um, in terms of observing sort of the political realities and how those shape the reverse mortgage industry at large, what did you think of some of this news that came down? So again, this is sort of a series of events that you might not see again in one year. Right. There was a lot of, I know that there are always meetings and discussions that are taking place, but in such a public format as a congressional hearing, we don't always see the Heckam program front and center the way that it was. And of course, these the proposed legislation was kind of, we covered that in conjunction with the hearing coverage. From my perspective, I think it was so nice to see a dialogue taking place that seemed rather neutral. And everyone kind of seemed to be in agreement that there are changes that need to be made, but that this program is very worthwhile for the people whom it serves. And so that definitely is a change in tune from some of the hearings that I have observed in the past. And I think I tried to, in talking with you about this coverage, you know, provide some of that context that this, um, the tone has certainly changed. I think that should be encouraging. Yeah, it's, it certainly seemed that way to me. Just when, I remember when I was watching the hearing, just thinking, this is very civil. Mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting. Yeah, we were waiting for a few more shots fired. Right, yeah, <laughs> some, some additional fireworks. Not because of mm-hmm. a, a desire to sensationalize anything, but it's just the perspective has always been that there's quite a lot of political opposition to the reverse mortgage program. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like that was really the case anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously things can change. So two draft pieces of legislation came from uh, Washington State's Denny Heck and Missouri's Lacey Clay, respectively. Heck's uh, piece of legislation detailed bolstering reverse mortgage borrower protections, while Clay's bill primarily tries to address the current national loan limit structure for FHA-backed loans in an effort to protect seniors. But then you also had the White House introduce its own proposals concerning an elimination of Heckam to Heckam refis, area-based regional lending limits, and the implementation of a tiered pricing system to try and protect the MMI fund. And it seemed like the perspective that I got anyway was that people were generally kind of open to what the representatives were playing with, but a little cautious in terms of some of the White House proposals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talking to people in Nashville, it seemed like uh, regional lending limits are something that the industry is going to have to potentially work out if it looks like that's something that's actually going to be coming down the pike, but they've been in place before. Yeah. I think going way back, even before uh, my time with RMD, 
that is something that took place, but I, I mean, it's been a, it's been a long time that yeah. we've had the national lending limit for Hickam. So mm-hmm. I guess time will tell on those, but certainly it seems like the conversation is progressing. And I think that should be a good sign for everyone. And I know that we compiled this top five list of articles that we're talking through today based on readership statistics and that last one, we did have a series of articles that covered the legislation and the um, hearing itself and some different follow-ups. So I wonder if you compiled all of those. Um, I don't know if they'd come close to Livewell's traffic, but... Uh, no, probably, but there was definitely a lot of interest. Some of the interests might have stemmed from anxiety that can always come with sort of regulatory change, but... A lot of people that I spoke to in the public and private sector seemed very uh, encouraged, at least by the hearing that took place mm-hmm. and the the receptivity that lawmakers seemed to have to the industry. Because was it Maxine Waters even said during the hearing that there was a time where I questioned whether or not this program should even exist. And now I recognize that it has value and should be protected. Mm-hmm. And that seems like quite a quite a change of pace, if I if I were to guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Liz, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the RMD podcast. Thanks for having me. I hope it's not the last time. <laughs> it, won't, it won't be, most definitely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode eight of the RMD podcast. A very special thanks to Liz Ecker for taking time out of her busy schedule to sit down and discuss reverse mortgages with me. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network in Chicago, Illinois. See you next time. 